Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Incense and Sensibility by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pemberley Podcast. This week, we're going to dive into chapters 7 through 9 of Incense and Sensibility. But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about what we are currently reading, what we're watching. All about the media that we consume between (laughs) episodes. Yes. Because we're very well-read, well-watched people. It also just feels like there's constantly something that you're needing to catch up and watch because like there's so many great shows when you listen to the Pemberley podcast you don't have to worry about sounding (laughs) like you're not watching stuff because we're watching stuff and you can just take whatever our opinions are exactly uh so what are you uh watching lately yolanda right now i'm watching loki on disney plus It is focused on the character of Loki starring Tom Hiddleston. It's a lot of fun. I don't actually don't want to give too much away about it because there's a lot of Easter eggs and a lot that I think is going to lead into other movies that are coming out soon. If you watched WandaVision, it also feels like it ties in like the fun of that where you felt like, oh, what's going to happen in the next episode? The main reason it's been getting also a lot of hype is because it's pretty clearly directed through the female gaze. So you are seeing Loki in like this new way. And it's also like just very subtle and also really great. So I love a good female gazy thing. So I have not watched Loki yet, but okay. I do want to because I am in love with Tom Hiddleston. He's great. Um, So he, you are saying if, if one were in love with Tom Hiddleston, this would be worth your while. Yeah. And you actually also fall in love with Owen Wilson. You're <gasps> like, oh, he is surprisingly great too. <laughs> I've forgot he existed yeah i I once saw him walking in santa monica i felt very cool and i hear this voice and i know this voice (gasps) and he's talking to some guy and then they passed on but it i think we might have made eye contact wow okay that's very exciting very exciting the main uh thing people are waiting for is for him to say wow in the show (laughs) so it hasn't happened yet i don't think it will happen at the point we're recording this there's still one episode left so We'll see. Definitely be sure to check that out. Yeah. Mine is different from yours, but not all that different. So this is a book, if you are over the age of 16, 17, 18, um, I think everyone should read this book. It is a very fun, hypey, sexy, sexy book called Neon Gods by Katie Robert. I trace it back to Loki because he's a Norse god. Yeah. And this is sort of a modern day adaptation of the Greek gods where... It's not magical. It's not fantasy at all. It's very much grounded. It's just sort of clearly a world that's not our own. And so this big cosmopolitan utopia city called Olympus. Okay. And then there's kind of like the other side of the tracks that's like the our, our little underworld. And it's basically a, a Hades and Persephone romance. Oh, okay. But what it kind of is, is Zeus, instead of being like the name of someone, it's more like the people who are in charge of all the other... 13 or like someone who's in charge of food or the person who's in charge of delivering messages. It's more like their title is Zeus or and his queen's title is Hera and his (laughs) anyway. So like it's more like that kind of situation. Yeah. And uh, basically Persephone's mother Demeter has conspired to marry her off to the old 
horrible controlling Zeus. She doesn't want that, so she takes off running in the night, and she crosses the tract and winds up in Hades territory, and because of a treating, no one can really cross confrontationally, and they uh, have a very sort of a explicit romance in order to tarnish her reputation in the eyes of Zeus, so he will be less likely to want to marry her. It is a, a fun romp. <laughs> nice. I think this is sort of as good a time as ever to dive into Incense and Sensibility. So previously on Incense and Sensibility, chapters four through six, Yash Rajay seeks India Dashwood's help with his anxiety attacks after the shooting. Meanwhile, India is trying to convince her mother to seek treatment for her unexpected hepatitis C diagnosis. Another note that Yolanda and I would like to make is that the wonderful Sonali Dev put a sentence in sort of telling us how to pronounce Yash's name. We've been saying Yash because that's just kind of how it's spelled. She wrote a little nice sentence that says his name is pronounced like Yush. Um, yeah. And so we'll just be doing that from now on. Sorry, we mispronounced your name, Yush. Yeah, it says like Rush, not Dash. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that was completely our, we've been doing that. <laughs> Diving into chapter seven, Yosha's mom, Mina, is freaked out at the idea of him living on his own after suffering such an incident. And we're reintroduced to their cousin, who I, I kind of hope will get a spinoff book. Like, yeah. maybe she could be our heroine in the next one, Isha, who basically was in a terrible plane accident as a kid, killing both her parents and giving her seizures and visions of the future that are never wrong. And so yeah. we learn... We've sort of heard about this, but it's sort of explicitly said in this chapter that she had a vision of Yush in a white house in Washington, D.C., and that pretty much cemented his life as a politician. His fate was sealed, and that's the path he's been on, and he's never strayed from it. He never questioned it, and his family didn't question it. They're like, great, like, we're going to set him on this path, and everyone has been super supportive of it. Right now, especially after the jarring incident he went through, it's like, wait a second. He's like, almost starting to reevaluate a lot of things, but he can't because he doesn't have the room to reevaluate anything. Well, and it's so interesting because we're learning a lot about what he really wants and what's really important to him. Yeah. And something that India said to him in one of the last chapters was, I didn't think you wanted to be a politician. I thought you wanted to be a public servant. Mm -hmm. And even we've read Yosha's point of view on people who inherit their power and inherit their privilege and squander it. He, he really yeah. likes to be worthy of all of the privileges that he has and everything that's been given to him. He, wa he wants to earn it. He doesn't want to just like have it because he thinks he's entitled to it. He feels like he's cheating right now because after the shooting, he jumped up in the polls. And so he's right now winning. If the election were, ha were to happen today, he wins. Mm -hmm. But he feels like, wait, no, that wasn't like <laughs> the way the plan was supposed to work. I was supposed to work really hard, earn my way there. And this in a way feels like, wait a second, like this was out of my control. And I think control is a big theme that is going to come up with him of like, especially right now, just feeling out of control of everything. What we learn a lot about in chapter seven is a brief history of Yush and Nina. So he's at his parents' house trying to write his speeches and she kind of barges in. She runs some kind of nonprofit organization um, in Kathmandu in Nepal and she's come in with amazing news. So she has just received a really big 13 million donation from a local billionaire named Jiggy Mehta. It's a total green light for her. She can do everything her foundation has been trying to do. I mean, it's so difficult because you have to get donations, you need to get the money and now she doesn't have to compromise anything. She yeah. can just do it and she believes she's one step closer to the Nobel 
prize, which would really cement them as a power couple. This is very concerning, actually. Yes. <laughs> I was like, it feels like, you know, they've had like this very loose understanding together of like, yeah, we're just doing this to keep our parents like off our backs that we're not in a, in a relationship or married yet. Their parents and, and their family seem to be fine with the fact that they're not married yet just because they've been so career focused and driven. But clearly Nina has like a whole other 10 year plan where she's like, great. And then we'll actually get married and then we'll actually <laughs> do all these things and we'll be that power couple and I'll be your first lady. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This was only supposed to take us so far. And I think even he's like, just not focused on that at all that he realizes it's gotten out of hand. We do get a little bit of insight that they were a couple at one point, but it didn't work out and she's like yeah but we could try again so does Nina actually have feelings for Yush does she love him maybe she's been sort of keeping up the charade not just because hey look we're gonna look great but maybe she does actually love him I mean even Yush even before she kind of bursts in with this news about their future together Yush is clearly already grappling with the fact that they've been in a fake relationship for 10 years. Yeah. Like it started when they were 28 and they were just like start, they really wanted their freedom. They they didn't want to constantly have to battle at the like, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? So it started as like a, it's a bandaid. It's a temporary fix. Yeah. And he's already been thinking like, how do we get out of this at this point? Because it's yeah. been 10 years. It's expected of us. Nina, she couldn't imagine saying no to her family at the age of 28, even though she's like, by normal people's standards, <laughs> I feel like they would have no problem saying no. But right. sometimes saying no to your parents is a trait that you never grow <laughs> out of. And that's okay. Um, and that's especially the case with these two. And she even says like something like, I would have no trouble telling my dad now that this isn't what I want. I think she's kind of at the age where she's like, there's nothing you can take away from me if mm. I disobey you. Right. And so she's kind of doing this thing where she's like, we don't have to get married. In fact, I think we're more appealing to younger voters or you're more appealing right. to younger yeah, voters yeah. because we're not married. Like, we don't have to do that. I think the sort of big announcement that she's bringing here is that she's not going back to Nepal. She's going to stay in California for right. a while, which is very concerning to Yush because the whole reason they're we're not together thing works is because they're never in the same place. And it's a great <laughs> excuse to say, oh, I miss her so much, but like, not really. Right. And so he's kind of wondering, shoot, like I've been trying to get out of this and it's going to get 10 times harder if you're coming with me to things as the first lady. She's his Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. And, you know, they, they really have something here. There's finally momentum. It sounds like a really great, great deal for her. But Yash is kind of like, it never worked. We tried to have a real relationship and it just didn't work out like I nothing's changed I don't know why you think it would be different I think they both see the relationship in the fake relationship in different ways where like first I think it was about that freedom to just do what they want it gave Nina the freedom to travel and to go to Nepal and be in other countries with the security to her family of like oh but you are with someone right now so it's not like you're just gallivanting around and doing whatever for Yash yeah he wasn't then like getting all those questions from his family but he also was like it's not like he can date around either because he is in the public eye. He's a politician. Even if he were to date someone else, it's suddenly like, oh, he's having an affair and that yeah. could ruin his entire political career. Yeah. So he hasn't had freedom actually through no, this. <laughs> no, And like, he hasn't really been with anyone. He hasn't really been in love with anyone, yeah. but he hasn't had the opportunity to find that with anyone else. Something that we learn about in more detail in the first book in the series, Pride, Prejudice, 
and other flavors, Yush was sexually assaulted by his sister's best friend at the time. When she was in college, she was his intern. It's like his most shameful secret. It also like really messed up his idea of intimacy. So in a way, it's been a relief to him not to have to try and not to have to confront that for all of these years because he's been in a fake relationship. So he doesn't, they don't have to do anything together, but he doesn't have to try with anyone else. Yeah, I think he's just been such in like in go, go, go mode that he hasn't had that time to himself to really reflect on like, not only like he's had so much trauma in his (laughs) life and he's gone through so much with his accident, this thing with Julia Wickham, the recent shooting, like there's just not been a moment for him to really take a break. And even though his family has been like, you know what, actually, Ashna did get that help and she's doing better. They don't fully acknowledge that like, yes, and you too, y'all should take that break. They just continue to be like, yeah, that's right, take the break. But also we need to talk about the campaign and you need to go through all these rallies and you need to make a speech and you need to memorize this. So there's really no space for him to actually take the time he needs. Exactly. And this is something that is another sort of theme in this uh, episode is Yush's relationship to his father, HRH, aka Mm. his royal highness, who is the patriarch of the family. What he says goes. And if he says that Yush is fine and he's not really having panic and anxiety Mm. issues, then, and especially this close to the election, it's just a a non-issue. And that's really sad. Yeah. (laughs) Chapter basically ends with his sister Nisha bursting in, um, asking about his speech, which basically gives him an excuse not to answer Nina's questions about what do you think about sort of like trying again or like us being like together together when all he can really do is uh, sort of have a grumbling non-answer about India. Hi everyone, are you under 30? Do you love Jane Austen? Do you love film? Do you live in North America? Our stats point to yes. You should enter the Jasna Southwest Young Filmmakers Contest. Create your own five minute or less short film inspired by Jane Austen. We have an amazing panel of judges, including Amy Heckerling, who directed Clueless. Oh my gosh, I love that movie. Gurinder Chada, who directed Bendit Like Beckham and Bride and Prejudice. Are you kidding me? Laura Rister, producer of Mr. Malcolm's List. Almost made it to set. Suzanne Elaine, who wrote Mr. Malcolm's List. Phenomenal guest. Sonali Dev, author of Incense and Sensibility and Recipe for Persuasion. One of the best authors out there. And Ty Burr, film critic at the Boston Globe. Love Boston. The deadline to enter is October 1st, 2021. You can get more details about the contest and prizes at jasnasw.com. Now, back to the episode. Chapter 8 is from India's point of view. And it's basically her really making vegetable soup for her mom because she's still not really gone through any official treatment for her recently diagnosed hepatitis C. Mm -hmm. When who should show up unexpectedly, even though we are in the day and age, cell phones are doing pretty well. I don't know if you just heard about this. (laughs) You can ask if she's home. People sometimes leave their homes. I mean, it's a very recent thing. But I wonder, is he allowed to? Because I know sometimes like, well, I guess it's just the president, but like they don't really have like personal cell phones just because for security reasons. He's a candidate, but... but I was going to say, he's not even... it's even funny that we were just talking about like his success versus Nina's success. Cause guess what? He's not the governor. He's yeah. just some guy who wants to be the governor. Yeah. And I know you, his security is private, which means that like yeah. brandy is what he has. Yeah. And so he should, he has a cell phone. He, has, <laughs> he could send a carrier pigeon if he wants to, but yeah. Yash uh, Rajay's method of, 
living his life is to just like show up unexpectedly at people's homes. And so while India is kind of like making her soup, she she's basically reflecting on her, her um passionate night with Yash Rajay. She's very in touch with her inner self, yeah. which is something Yash really isn't at no. all. She was really reflecting on how her body has always been very good about like trusting the people that she's let in. The only time it was wrong was when she was with Yush. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's intense. <laughs> um, and then who should show up? And this is a direct quote, tortured gray eyes, but Yush himself. And he basically wants to talk to India about his ongoing treatment with her, even though this was not uh, a scheduled time to meet. No. He just shows up. He's trying to like help her cut up the the vegetables for the soup, and he uh, refuses to relinquish a green bean. And <laughs> so she kind of uncovers like, oh, I see you have control issues. Yeah, and that pretty much takes us immediately into chapter nine. Yeah, I think what I like about this is like India can tell he's not fully ready to give in to like whatever practice she wants to do with him or lead him through in prepping the food. She's still trying to get those answers out of him. So she's very good at what she does and she can already sort of pinpoint like, what are the areas you need help with? Great on her part. It's something that he opens up about his control issues. Cause like political suit wearing guys like this, you know, a lot of the times they've kind of gotten to that position because they micromanage absolutely everything yep. and everything has to be very just so and they're very pedantic. And Yush is not an exception. <laughs> he is very much in this category. And it's not like she's trying to do this hippy dippy thing where she's like, just let go, man, feel the breeze or whatever. You yeah. know, she's smart. She's got a strategy. And he's let her know that he doesn't feel like himself when he has these control issues and they've gotten yeah. worse ever since the shooting. She leads him in an exercise of pranayama, which is basically like yoga breathing. And she therapizes him in such a great way. I mean, he definitely still has feelings for her, but go yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the way she does this because she takes him through like a few different key scenes in his life of like the the traumatic shooting where he just felt out of control and he's like been feeling that and he's sort of like almost is feeling that anxiety again. And then she takes him to his very first rally where he felt so strong and confident in what he was doing. And, you know, he's just so well prepared that these speeches are second nature, like he could just recite them in his sleep. So he felt that that exciting part of it. And like, even like the fact that he says, like, you can't be a politician without loving campaigning, like that's such a big part of it. Yeah. And then even going to like, the more recent rally where he couldn't go out on stage and he suddenly felt like all that panic again. She's really trying to, again, like pinpoint like what's going on with you? What are the areas that like are that keep coming up? She says, you're not having a panic attack. You are having an anxiety attack. This is what we actually need to work on. Yeah. And even though she's really great and she is really leading him through this, I think he also gets a little worried and like scared about it too. He's like, wait, wait. He's never taken that time to take care of himself. So I think it's also also like a little scary for him too to actually dive into these feelings and emotions where her whole life is feelings and emotions. Exactly. And it's because you're right. Like I, I really love watching her lead him through these like mental exercises where like yeah. when she has him really take her through the rally that he recently like basically chickened out of. Yeah. Like he was all set. It was a vigil for... um for hate crimes 
Rico Silva was like, and now introducing Yosh Rajay. And he just felt clammy and whatever. And he talks about how he felt like he could always trust the audience and how he felt like they were always on his side. And he just can't mm. feel that way anymore. And he doesn't have control over the way that things happen anymore. Yeah. You know, she tries to take him deeper and he basically can't keep reliving this moment. And I, I feel like that's sort of like a key here and like why he's had trouble healing is like, He's just very used to like water under the bridge, bury it in the backyard. He'll keep all his emotions right here. Then one day he'll die. Yeah. And he's realizing that. uh, You can't do that. (laughs) You can't do it. And I actually, she says something really clever where she says, look, like, you know, you were just shot, right? You could heal. Your body would heal itself even if you didn't see a doctor. But your doctor put in stitches to make sure that the wound heals the way that it's supposed to, that it heals Mm. correctly. And you need to do the same thing for your mind where like, of course, you're going to get past this eventually. You will heal eventually, but you should really be putting in this work right now while it's still fresh so that it doesn't heal incorrectly and mm. you don't take any bad lessons away from this. She's really good at what she does. She's amazing. <laughs> and like when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, what about all of our mental healing? I know. You know? Like, we should, is she real? Is can she we go? Real? I know. Can India help everyone? Can yeah. she help us? I did really love this one sentence that really uh, encapsulates both of them. He says, sitting by her, Yash felt stiff and clunky. A legal brief next to a haiku. (laughs) See, that's just poetry right there. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, and so that's, that's pretty much where the chapter ends with him figuring like, look, I... You know, we we sort of cut back to his accident. He was hit um, by a car on his bike when he was 15 and he couldn't, he was paralyzed for a year. Doctors said he'd never walk again. His family believed the doctors. In fact, the only person who refused to believe that Yush would be in a wheelchair his whole life is his father, HRH. And so there's kind of some complicated feelings here where obviously HRH is a great source of stress for Yush. Everything he does is essentially for this man and the family and the empire that he's created, sustained, moved from India to the United States and really like built his whole life here. He owes a lot to him, but it's also that pressure just really doubles down. But he's also the only one who, not the only one, but he's the one who believes that Yush can do anything. Like superhuman acts. And he figures at the end, well, if I healed myself when I was 15 with my legs, I can do that with my mind. I do like that it ends there where like he hasn't given up on this. Like Mm -hmm. even though he does get scared in the moment and he he does want to leave, he's not like, this is never going to work for me and I'm never going to confront this. I think he doesn't say it to India, but he's like, yeah, there is something here and maybe I can actually do this. So good for him, you know, baby steps for him. (laughs) I think he, I think if anything, this chapter taught us how hard it's going to be. Oh, yeah. Because I think before he's like, yeah, 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 I'll get help. I'll talk to someone. And well, he, he, he thought like it'd be like one session and I'm healed. Yeah. But that's not. That's well, not he's, it. He's superhuman, you know? Yeah. He, I'm sure he has this mentality of like, what would take some people a year in therapy? I could take care of in a week. Right. And um, he's learning his limitations. And yeah. that's always, I think, the hardest thing for anyone to confront, especially yeah. someone like him. We went all in on Yush Rajay this episode. We learned a lot about him and his upbringing and his past and his future. I, you know, we're still just learning things. We're still just getting into it. Stay tuned for next week. Next week.